Welcome to the Springforth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording was made on March 13th, 2022, the second Sunday of Lent. This is why I don't run around the sanctuary anymore. Mary's like, you stay in one place, Sonny. (laughs) Good morning. (laughs) Looking at our announcement page, leading our announcements is, first of all, our sympathies to the family of Jackie Pazur. Jackie passed away this weekend uh, after a courageous uh, battle with cancer. Funeral and visitation details are pending. When those solidify, we will definitely get something out on our communication channels and and let you know where you can pay respects with the family and help them this season through their season of grief. I want to thank everyone for Wednesday night, Casey and Deb and the Rouse and, and everyone who attended for our first film, Lenten film. We watched Heaven is for Real. Is it just, that's the right film. Okay. And it went off without a hitch. I mean, I was, I was more concerned about the tech side, not about the people who would be here or the meal, because that wasn't my worry. My worry was making sure that this didn't hiccup on us, because we haven't, haven't used it for a, for a film in some time. But it felt like we were in a theater. It was great, except for um, just the impending fear that the power was going to go out. (laughs) We'd all be plunged in the darkness. So we're going to do it again. We're going to watch part one of a theatrical production, a live theatrical production called Jesus. And we're going to watch the first part of that because it's a long, I think it just chronicles the whole life of Jesus. So come if you want to, to catch that, and then we will screen the second portion in the coming week. It's good. We can, we can do these things. And as Casey and I were unpacking, and you feel free to chip in if you want to, it just, fellowship doesn't have to be complicated, right? We some have a ten- tendency sometimes in churches to complicate things with a lot of planning and a lot of scheduling and a lot of extra meetings. Sometimes it's just a question of opening your doors, setting a time, put some delectables in front of people, turn the lights off, and watch a film, right? Sometimes it actually really can be that simple. And just being together and having an experience, a shared experience, is something that, that reinforces our connection to Christ and our connection to one another. So thank you. At least two years. And they were having so much fun at the meal that uh, we started our screening a little bit. I mean, it was like laughter coming from the basement. I was like, I guess they don't want to watch the film. They're just, 
whatever they're serving up down there has, contains laughter in it, but it was, it was great. So come this week, we'll start at five, and we'll start the film when we're ready to start the film. <laughs> yes. Sure. Yeah, we can we can swing that. We will make. Okay. Thank you, Tara. I think I think you'll enjoy uh, this uh, this next film that we've got coming up. Is there anything you want to add to that, Casey? Do we have, do we need volunteers for meal this week? Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> okay. I didn't see anyone who had a problem with the two rice dishes. <laughs> Worked out. <laughs> First congregational, we do rice. Okay, you know, all right. Yes, there you go. <laughs> so let's see, you're looking ahead. Um, it's all a uh, council meeting this afternoon at 10, well, not this afternoon, after worship at 10.30. One great hour of sharing collection will be taken on March 27th. That's one of five that we give to the UCC wider church. Did they have the St. Patty's Day Parade yesterday in Prairie? Did anyone, did anyone catch that? Good turnout? Did they throw candy? Okay, there you go. Then all is well in the world. <laughs> you got a potato? Okay. <laughs> now Millie's going to show you how to cook that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, yes, I now that one I am familiar with the Al Qaeda one. Yes. <laughs> That's a crazy one. You got to avoid that one. It's like four families in Wakan, and they just like dominate. Yeah, they, they, oh, they party in Wakan, yes. They don't care how cold it is either. Just a lot of green activity. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I just, I'm just up here kind of one-lining it. Um, I don't really have any other announcements. I just kind of like the fun aspect of worship. Bill's home. Can you give us an update on the man, how he's doing? And Myron's also home as well, holding the line. Okay, well, I'm going to sit down now and let Marilyn do her thing.
God be with you. Let us pray. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast to the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen. Please rise as you are able, and we join in number 149, our opening hymn. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom then shall I be afraid? Though an army should encamp against me, yet my heart shall not be afraid. One thing I have asked for the Lord, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. For in the day of trouble, he shall keep me safe in his shelter. 
He shall hide me in the secrecy of his dwelling and set me high upon a rock. Therefore, I will offer in his dwelling an oblation with sounds of great gladness. I will sing and make music to the Lord. You speak in my heart and say, Seek my face. I've been gone for six months. This is all new to me again. You were in the right spirit. This is the season of stillness. It's the season of what? Stillness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was really still. <laughs> the Old Testament reading comes from Genesis 15, verses 1 through 12, and verses 17 and 18. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other, but he did not cut the bird in two. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Um, the second reading is from Philippians 3, 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, 
Join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears, their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. Please rise for the gospel. A reading from Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came to him and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow and the next day, I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often have I desired to gather you as children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Gospel. You may be seated. Let us pray. We greet you this morning, loving God, and we thank you that you have allowed us to set forth the intention of devotions corporately as we gather in this space, both in person and virtually. We ask that you would guide our deeds and actions for the day and for the week. Each day we renew our covenant with you. We listen for your call to us, and we desire to respond in kind. Thank you for giving us the patience and the grace to sometimes accomplish those goals accurately and sufficiently, and thank you for the patience that you have provided for us when we miss the mark, dust ourselves off, and begin again. Your consistency is what drives our faith. The fact that we know that you will consistently always be there, that is enough to sustain us and to lead us forward as we bear light and witness to your word and way. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be an offering to you. Pour out your blessing upon us. Strengthen us and our resolve. Amen. I've been titling my messages later, lately. You, you, you don't hear the titles, but I titled them as a way of setting my, my focus. This one's titled, The Prince, the Prophet, and the People. There, that's it. Mic drop. <laughs> oh, he's getting silly. Okay, so usually when this passage comes up in Lent, I avoid it. <laughs> 
But, but today I decided to tackle it. Usually I do the passage that came to us from Genesis. <laughs> That's an easy passage either. But in this particular passage, we realize that, that, that Jesus is engaging once again a group of individuals with whom he's had a contentious relationship. And I think it, it adds to our Lenten journey to find out where he's at in this particular text and what that might mean for us. So it's going to be filled with some historical stuff to kind of set the context, but let's enjoy the ride. In verse 31 of the passage that we heard today from Luke, chapter 13, it says, At that very hour some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now, it's difficult to say whether or not the Pharisees actually were well-meaning in their effort to warn Jesus of Herod's desire to kill him. In Luke's gospel, Jesus has often had a long and contentious relationship with the Pharisees because the Pharisees were considered, they were one of three political groups of the day, the first century. And you had the Sadducees, who were responsible for all the sort of temple activities. They would handle the temple treasury and the temple tax. And they liked to curry the favor of the very wealthy people. They were sort of in the know. You had the Herodians. We'll hear a little bit more about them later, but they were fans of King Herod. And you had the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the scribes and the elders, the ones who were so well-versed in the Torah that they sort of kept tabs on everyone in the community basically saying, do as I say, not as I do. And the Pharisees were actually surprisingly popular with the people of the day. So enter into Jesus. So we see that Jesus also is somebody who is very well skilled. Like I said last week, he has fluency in the word of God. But he's not as highbrow nor as full of himself as the Pharisees are. So when the Pharisees tell him, you know, you need to get away from around here, Jesus, because Herod's threatening your life, were they doing that for Jesus' sake or were they doing that for their own comfort? I think we have to sort of say that maybe, maybe you can come down on both sides of that. In some respects, the Pharisees had some regard for Jesus because they sort of likened him to a great teacher. Sometimes they called him rabbi. But they also realized that he was cutting in on their turf. And frankly, we can't have that. So maybe you should go, because Herod's got this thing, and he's after you. And so why don't you just leave, and then we can continue to have our influence and our power over the people. you got to think, and you have to remember that this was all political. Did Herod want Jesus dead? Absolutely. Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch, ingratiated himself with the Roman Empire. I did a bit of reading. Herod the Great, the one who did the slaughtering of the innocents when Jesus was still just a toddler, and he sent uh, his, his troops down to Bethlehem to kill any child two and younger because he wanted to kill the supposed Messiah, and he figures, well, if I don't exactly have a direct pinpoint, I'll just kill all the kids there, I'm sure, to get, to get him. But meanwhile, uh, Joseph and family had gone and spirited themselves away in Egypt, the flight to Egypt to escape the wrath of Herod the Great. Herod the Great had uh, some sons. And when he died, his kingdom was parceled off to his sons. He had Philip, had a bit of territory. Herod had the Galilee area and Perea. 
And then Archelaus, his son, had the larger portion of the kingdom in Judea. Archelaus decided that he wasn't being fairly treated by Rome, so he traveled and had an audience with Emperor Tiberius and said, look, I don't like the situation that you got. You know, you, you need to give me a little bit more territory. You need to change the way I manage that. And Emperor Tiberius is like, okay, I'll tell you what we'll do. How about we just take what you have, put Pontius Pilate over it, and we'll lock you up because you got a big mouth. Now, if he had just been quiet, we might have been able to work out something like your brothers. But you didn't. You wanted to test me. You don't test Rome. So Archelaus lost Judea. This is how Pontius Pilate came to be governor over Judea, because the big mouth brother of Herod <laughs> thought he could he thought he could stand up against Rome, and Rome's like, yeah, we'll give you what for. So Herod, realizing what happened to his brother, is being very cautious, right? He's one-fourth ruler of the kingdom, and he wants to do everything that he can to keep that little bit of influence that he has. So Herod needs to get Jesus out of the way because the Herodians, that other third political group of the first century, well, they figured Herod was the Messiah, right? And they're going to champion and root for their guy, so obviously, Jesus' message of being the son of man, being the son of God, well, that's going to be sort of conflict with Herod's policies because Herod was the one who hopefully was going to wait for the right time to stick it to Rome, and his people were backing him. So you could see why, once again, Herod Antipas is like, yeah, this Jesus is problematic. He's got to go. And as we who know the Easter story know that Herod when it came time to, for Pilate to, 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 to challenge and to try to figure out what, who this Jesus is and what they want me to do with him, he's like, well, wait a minute, you're a Galilean. Go to Herod's territory, and I'll let him deal with you. And Herod's like, do me one of those miracles, and then I have the power to set you free. And Jesus is like, what, you want parlor tricks? This is not parlor tricks. You have no power over me. I'm not going to do anything for you. So you might as well just go ahead and send me back to Rome and we can get on with the show. So Herod was not a fan of Jesus. So Jesus is very much aware of the political tensions that are going on in his day. And this is why he stands toe-to-toe with the Pharisees when they go, you need to get away from around here because Herod is up. He's gunning for you, man. You're in trouble now. Verse 32, he said to them, you go tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work, alluding to the day of resurrection. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Ooh-wee, if that's not a boom beatdown. Firmly planted in his mission to administer the gospel in word and deed to those who will receive him, Jesus remains firm in his stance, even if it places him personally at risk. This is what is so incredible about this man. Now, he could have folded. He could have said, hmm, do you have it on good authority that Herod's after me? You guys got a basement, someplace where I can hide? Maybe you can put me in them boxes on the back of a camel and spirit me out of town. Cover me, man. Who's got my back? Anybody? Anybody? Now, he could have done that, but that wasn't his style. In fact, this response here of you go tell that fox, this was not a term of flattery 
Now, we might see a little red fox, you know, dashing around in the wilderness. We go, oh, look, he's cute, and a little pointy face, and little cat-like eyes, and bushy tail, and drives your dogs crazy, because I know we had a fox running around our place, and Fuji was having a call and response, and it was really ugly. <laughs> so we might think foxes are cute, but foxes are crafty. I mean, isn't that uh, one of Aesop's fables? Was it the fox and... Not the fox and the grapes, it was the fox and the, the gingerbread man. I don't know if, it, or maybe that wasn't an Aesop fable because Aesop probably didn't even know what gingerbread was. Anyway, we know the story where the gingerbread wants to get across and the fox is like, just, just right on my back, right on my back. He's like, no, you're going to eat me. I'm like, no, I'm not going to eat you. You're way back there. I can't eat you back there. And then he gets out into the deep and, and you know, the fox is like kind of getting a little bit deeper into the water, and Gingerbread Man's, you know, kind of inching up a little bit to stay above the shallows, and before you know it, he's like, just right on the tip of my nose, just right on the tip of my nose, I guarantee you, I'm going to get you to the other side. Yeah. Gingerbread Man knew, but uh, it's a story to reflect our own gullibility. So when Jesus calls Herod a fox, he is saying that this, this political actor, this prince, is clever and crafty, and he is definitely in the pocket of Rome, and he is not to be trusted. Because Rome was the occupying force of, of, that, of that kingdom, and they didn't care for the customs or the traditions or even the well-being of those people. What they wanted, it was the good old-fashioned land grab. And Herod thought that somehow maybe he could play both sides against the middle. Like maybe if he's really kind and he, and he cracks the heads of, of the people of, of, his own, of his own culture, maybe Rome will take notice and elevate him. Sort of like the, 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 the Jewish ghetto police in, in Poland. You know, they, they busted heads more than, more than the, uh, the SS did because they thought that that would get them in good favor. It got them a train ride like everybody else. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, a city that kills its prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Okay, so Jesus uses the language of a fox to describe Herod. Fox, it's a predator. And he uses the image of a hen, a mother hen, specifically using this feminine language to describe the desire that God has to bring the people under the shelter of God's love. And what do foxes do to hens? If any of you have ever tried to keep chickens, your problem is usually raccoons, but it's the same game. Right? It's, the sa it's the same game. If you, if you don't lock it up, and raccoons are relentless, I assume foxes are as well. Now, the people have a choice. They can accept this new revelation of Jesus, and they can learn how to live in the confidence of God's grace, or they can choose to ignore the message, cling to temporal power and authority. Jesus laments that in the seat of power, the lure of earthly power and influence has too great a hold on the people, and his message cannot take root. In fact, no prophet can gain ground when faced with the raw quest for power on earth. Jesus is not angry with the people themselves. So let's just, let's just be clear about that. 
When he says Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he's talking about the powers that be, the political structures that are going on and twisting people's hearts and minds. Not the people themselves. The people them, some of the people there are, are just uh, the, the, the innocents. But because they too want to survive, they fall in line. And maybe the things that they are attaching themselves to aren't for their well-being. But to step out and to join Jesus is too great a risk. It's too great an ask. So very few are willing to abandon their perceived comfort for the life that he is offering. Now, this is where I, I kind of make it personal for us. Ask ourselves. Just, just, if you don't think about it now, think about it later. Ask yourself, what is easier to abandon? The things we have never possessed but longed for or the things that we actually have in our possession right now at this point, the perceived status, influence, and our accumulations. Jesus' message has always resounded very differently depending on the audience. This is something that just sort of, it occurred to me, it's like I kind of knew it, it was in the back of my mind. Because we see Jesus as we move through the Gospels and he's usually doing ministry out in the countryside in the surrounding towns and villages, amongst those who have the least of these. They don't have a lot of possessions. They are people who, for the most part, their possessions are what's on their back, people who work for a living. And his message always seems to settle on those who have little influence and little possessions seem to be deeply drawn to his invitation into new life with God. Yet when he finds himself in the places where people have amassed significant gain, influence, status, political appeal, his message of storing up treasure in heaven, it doesn't play as well. When he was in Nazareth, when he went back to his hometown of Nazareth, Nazareth was an exceedingly large city uh, for the first century era. It was like 25,000 people. It was a bustling city. And when he went back to Nazareth and he went and he read the, the scriptures, and he says, he read a passage from Isaiah and says, you know, the prophet says that the, he's opened the eyes of the blind. He has opened the tongues of those who were mute. He has set the captors free. And when he read that to the hometown crowd and he says, today these words have been fulfilled in your hearing, the people got enraged in the synagogue. They got enraged and said, kill him. And they chased him out. And they took him, they chased him up to the, to the, precipice of a cliff because they wanted to throw him off. He was so offensive to them, but he ducked and he got away from them. This is what happens when the man goes to, to, the, to the city. When he goes to the city, everyone's like, you're messing with our quality of life. You're messing with our status. You're messing with our political influence. You're messing with our possessions. Don't go messing with people's possessions. Not if you want to preserve your teeth. Don't do it. So Jesus finds himself in an area where people have a lot riding on their quality of life. They're making connections. They're networking. They're making deals. And he comes in and says, come under the shelter of God's love. Abandon these notions of political power and these temporal things. Give up all of this quest and lust for power. Come in with me and I will, sh I will give you true bread and true nourishment. They're like, are you crazy? Do you know how long it took me to establish this business and to make these connections? And Herod and I are like this? We're like brothers. 
I'm not going to give that up for you. You don't even have, you don't even have a place to, to bed down. You got up and walked away from your family, and you're hanging out with all these delinquents, all of them unemployed. No thank you, Jesus. Verse 35. See, your house is left to you, and I will tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, this is Jesus who is alluding to the palm, the triumphal entry, what we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem when everyone cuts off palms of branches and they lay their garments down and he enters in on, on the, the donkey, of foal of a donkey. And they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're like, yes, this is, this is our Savior. This is our Messiah who's now going to come and say the word and we will wage war against Rome. Now, Jesus wanted to bring these individuals underneath the shelter of God's love, but they refused. They had made their choice, and now he says their house is left to them. And he says this very plainly because he knows about the temple's destruction. He knows what the, 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 the damage that Rome is going to bring. It doesn't lessen his longing. It doesn't lessen his, his, his desire. He understands what he must accomplish, he won't compromise as a result of that. But make note that in this passage, he is distressed. He is distressed because what he wants to offer people is liberation for their souls, and they flatly reject it, flat out. They don't even think that there's any hint of anything in there that, that, would, that would be worth considering. Now, Jesus is not going to force us to love him. He has shown us the love of God, displayed through the power of grace, and it is up to us to see through our anger, which is emblematic of Herod's anger. This person is trying to usurp me. And we have to see through our rejection, which is emblematic of those people who feel that they've already achieved their status and their influence, and there's nothing more that he can offer them that's better than what they already have. So they reject him. And we operate in those hemispheres. We operate with anger and frustration of seeing someone else who was afforded a blessing which we don't think they deserve. Or we get upset when something is offered to us, but it but it demands that we have to change the way we've been doing things, that we have to learn a new path, that we have to change our direction. And we say, nope, my learning's okay. Any suggestion that perhaps maybe there's still more for me to learn or a different way to do these things, no, I'm going to have to say no, thank you. And we reject it. We need to place ourselves in a position to make nece the necessary sacrifices needed to bring us under the shelter of God's love. And it's different for every one of us. I don't know what that will look like for you, but much of it seems to rest with the same tension that the people of Jesus' day had to wrestle with. The want of the life that God would have us live and then the want of the life that we want to live. And until we can reconcile those two, we will always 
have this frustration within ourselves. We will always be wanting to try to push God into our mold instead of allowing us to submit and to fall into God's plan. So Jesus sets the choice to us. In this season of Lent, it is a time when we think about the sacrifices we need to make. Some of us entered into our Lenten season making a certain sacrifice, whether it is to abstain or to fast from some activity or a food or, or some practice in order that we would fill that space with more time with God, more time for reflection, more time with trying to figure out where we are at this point in our life. So as we go through this season of sacrifice, we realize that as we sacrifice, we're not abandoned. The sacrifice is the avenue. It is the pathway towards the shelter of God's love. God calling us in and underneath the protective wing of God's love. This is not, this is not an adverse invitation to us. This is the most welcome promise and the fulfillment of a prophecy that has embraced millions throughout the generations and have given people an entirely new reason to live and to engage the world. But when our worship spaces become places of status and influence and, and, and authority, it's hard to find that message. That message gets lost. Our worship spaces and our devotions should always keep us open to the reality that perhaps, perhaps maybe, maybe there are some things that God wants to show us and demonstrate to us. Maybe we do not, we have not seen the entire lay of the land. And if we trust, and if we allow God to be God, Sherry knows what I'm talking about, we will reap the rewards that have been always promised to us through Jesus, Son and Savior. Amen. Let us join together in our responsive hymn number 167.
Let us join together for our fellowship of prayer. Let us pray. For the season of Lent, for the time of reflection, for a season that calls us to refrain in order that we would gain deeper insight into your workings, to your will, to your purpose, God. We are open. For the comfort and the solace that you bring to bodies that are healing, to those who are ill and being treated, to those who care for them, we ask your renewal, that you would bring renewal to bodies minds and spirits, that you would sustain them throughout this journey that they are on towards wellness, towards restoration. We are all on a journey, various journeys, but for some it is very clear the journey that they are on. So we lift up to you those on our prayer list, those in our community who are sick and suffering. We pray for those who are in recovery. We lift up to you both Myron Juritz, Bill Grady. Should we continue to work through them and their wives, Mary, Carol, that you would strengthen everyone involved because healing is it's a corporate practice. It just requires a consistent narrative across the board. We ask for that same attention that you bring to families who are grieving, the Pazurs, the passing of Jackie. We thank you for her life. and for the pleasure of having known her, and for the place that she played and the part she played in this community. There are many people grieving her early departure. And we're going to have to deal with that. So I ask on behalf of the many people in McGregor and the surrounding community who are mourning her passing that you help us to deal with this very premature departure, that you bear up her family, friends. We present ourselves to you today and ask that we don't miss anything that you would have to teach us. 
You teach us so much. I was just reminded I, I forgot to include Shelley Milligan and Steve. And we always think that it's wives who do all the heavy lifting, but there are many a husband out there who are also caretakers. But of course, you know that, God. It's just my ego that didn't want to let the congregation know that I had forgotten them. But yet I didn't forget them because you reminded me. That's how you work. So for the prayers that we want to lift up to you today, even the ones we can't remember, hear our prayers. Continue in thy mercies, God, for us as you continue to be consistent in your invitation and you give us ample opportunity to reply. Receive these prayers that have been said unto you, spoken and unspoken, remembered and forgotten. You collect them all into your care. You remember us as we pray as one. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.
you, loving God, we venture to try to be consistent in our desire to serve you. We present these gifts that you would bless them and do, do good with them. Fortify the ministry of the church and allow it to resonate beyond these walls. For these provisions that you have made possible, we offer them for the sake of he who offered himself for us, Jesus our Lord. Let us join together in our covenant. We covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Lead us gently, God, but firmly, and allow us to discover the wonders and the shelter of your wings. Amen. On a night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover meal. He took bread. He divided it, offered it to his disciples, and says, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Together they shared the cup. This is the cup of the new covenant, Christ's blood shed for the remission of sins. For your mercies, for your guidance, for your patience, and for the assurances that there is a reward that will be given to those of us who have inclined our ear and decided to stay the course with you, for all of that and for this reminder that our sins are forgotten. Thank you, God. Amen. We close with 455.
assurances that you walk with confidence, boldness, that the Spirit is there at your back. During this time of Lenten reflection, meditation, as you plunge the depths of your own mortality and come to grips with the assurances that Christ gives, may you go forth in the confidence of knowing that you have the power to transform another's life. The grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you now and always. Keep you and guide you. Serve the Lord.